Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. We thank you, Father, that you have given us your spirit, that we can be in tune with your word today. So, Father, we thank you for your word that is spoken, that will not return void, and that, Father, we receive your word with gladness and we become doers of your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue the subject of, what is it, fruit power. And we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we had, a couple of weeks ago, we had um, Paul and Jasmine talk about patience. Wow, that's a good subject, patience. <laughs> and uh, us men need a lot of patience. Oh, let's move on. And uh, last week, we had Jeff and Nina, who talked about faithfulness, another incredible thing that we need to uh, exhibit in our lives as um, the Spirit leads. But today we're going to talk about something really exciting and it's called (laughs) self-control. So hang on to your seats. Self-control. You know, when we were born again, you know, our old life was uh, left behind. Our spirit became new. And of course, when it became new, we are new in Christ Jesus. And we've been set free free from the old self, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is now in us, not the law of sin and death. So in our position as born-again believers, we are walking by the spirit. Well, that's what the Lord wants us to do. But sometimes we, we get into that position of not moving in with the spirit and being following him, but we, we seem to go back into the old ways and our old flesh and uh, you know self-control is one of those things which we all face oh, I mean maybe I'm the only one but there are many things in our lives and I'm not going to list them all because it'll take us all day but in regards to self-control in our life when we live in this world self-control is a very important part of our Christian walk amen now so I'm going to um read from Galatians 5, and uh, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Very interesting uh, translation. In verse 1 it says, Let me be clear, the Anointed One, of course that is Jesus, has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into bondage of our past. Amen? So we go to verse 16. It says, As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life, for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation 
life of the Spirit. But when you were bought, brought into full freedom of the Spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the dominion of the law, but soaring above it. Now, verse 19 to 21, it talks about all those things which are of the flesh. And I, as I said, I don't need to repeat them. You know them all. We have to experience that in this world. These are the things that we are led out of and being led by the Spirit. But verse 22, it says, But the fruit of uh, produced by the Holy Spirit within you, produced, remember, it's produced by the Holy Spirit within you, is divine love in all its various expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, in other words, goodness, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of the spirit. Of course, that is self-control. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. So here we see a verse as it explains in regards to the fruit of spirit. And I've just put a summary here. The fruit of the spirit is the outworking of God's nature in our lives as we yield to the Holy Spirit's influence and interaction. See, the Holy Spirit desires for us to become more like Christ, Christ-like. Philippians 2, 5 mentions, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here we have the Holy Spirit is here inside of us. Each one of us is born again. It has the Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us to walk the way God wants us to walk. So the fruit of the Spirit, as we've talked about in, in uh, Galatians, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in our Christian walk, we choose. It's not automatic. I wish it was, but it's not automatic that we walk in these things by the, the fruit of the Spirit. We have to decide we're not going to go back into that old fleshly nature, but we're going to be led by the Spirit of God and um, obey him and do what is right. So that's what we are. That's, it is our decision. And when we are walking by the Spirit, it says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says, We are a sweet fragrance of Christ which exhales unto God, discernible alike among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So when we operate and uh, by the fruit of the Spirit, with the, under the anointing and influence of the Holy Spirit, we are a, a fragrance of Christ to people. We are the ones ultimately to make that decision. We choose. We choose. You know... I always like that ad on TV where it says, choose wisely. Do you remember that ad? Choose wisely. Well, we want to go on with God and we want to please him and be led by the Spirit into victory, into life. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, as been mentioned previously, is sequential. It's like a chain, you know, and they interact. Love will bring joy. Joy 
or is a source of peace. Peace causes you to be patient. Patience shows kindness, and then you move on to goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as we just study this today, self-control, it's not condemnation. It's just an encouragement to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to hand over to Jim. Thank you. You know, when someone says to you, exercise a little self-control, what does that um, bring up in your thinking? That they want to spoil your fun. Is that what you're thinking about? You know, you've got a packet of Tim Tams open on the counter and you have one and then your husband says to you, exercise a little self-control. <laughs> He's wanting to spoil your fun. Don't you think so? You know, self-control can be misinterpreted by some people. Think maybe God says, you know, self-control is like all the fruit of the Spirit are really lovely and you get to the self-control, it's like, oh, God gets a dampener and all the fun. But you know, that's not what self-control is about. Self-control has a very real purpose, a very real purpose. And, you know, when Pastor Tony sent the email out to those of us who are sharing this month, he, he set a very clear direction for us. And one of the things that he had in his email was a, a quote, a comment that says, yielding to the flesh can sabotage the gifts, callings and anointings that God bestows on us. Isn't that interesting? Yielding to the flesh, as James said, you know, if you go back to your old self-life, your selfish life, you can actually sabotage what God wants for you, for your life. That puts self-control in a slightly different light. So we want to look at self-control and what is the purpose of self-control. Now, there's a scripture, when, when, we, when we knew that we were going to be um, teaching on self-control, we looked at the others and said, oh, Jasmine and Paul have got a nice one, patience and, and faithfulness. Oh, don't we just love faithfulness? You guys got the easy one. We got self-control. We looked at each other and we went, Oh, well, <laughs> we're going to bring out the big stick. No, we're not. We're going to show you that self-control is actually has been given to you as a fruit. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know, when you get born again, God, it's, I like to look at, think about wardrobe, you know, what you wear. How many of you would love a change of wardrobe? Would you like someone to take out all your old clothes and bring you some new ones? You know, it's like if you lose a lot of weight, you're going to get rid of all your old ones and you're going to get a whole bunch of new ones going to make you look real good, all right? You know that when you get born again, that's what God does. He takes out your old, well, uh, your old wardrobe, which is the lust of the flesh and stuff that you put on, anger, impatience, greediness. He takes all that away. He gives you a new wardrobe. He says, you're going to look good in these clothing. You're going to look great in this. Love, joy, peace, self-control. It's going to look so good on you. Will you choose what you're going to wear? There's a scripture in 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8 that says everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by his divine power. He's given you a new wardrobe. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises. God's given you some wonderful promises that are beyond all price 
so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature. Do you know, that's your ultimate calling, to be experienced partnership with the divine nature, to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ himself. Don't you want to do that? That is his calling. And that calling can be sabotaged if you don't yield to and put on the fruit of the Spirit. So I had a look a little bit further in Second Peter. And there is there, in, in the Passion Translation, the heading for that is called Faith's Ladder of Virtue. And I thought about this ladder. Do you know that there are lad- there's a ladder that leads us to be looking just like God? Aren't you interested in that ladder? We can't miss out any rungs of the ladder because we won't get to be like God. God's given it to us, but we have a part. We have a part, and that is to choose. So let's have a look at this ladder. Have you got the ladder, the ladder, the steps? Slight, there we go. First one is faith. When, when we first get born again, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So by grace we have been saved through faith. And when you get born again, something on the inside changes. What your mind grappled with, suddenly your heart understands. And this is the way you live your life. You know, suddenly you can be faced with a situation and you don't know what to do. You read a snippet of the scriptures or you hear a word from God, suddenly something on the inside changes. Your mind doesn't understand it, but your heart goes, yes. You've ever had that experience? That's ladder number one. The next step is virtue. What is virtue? That's an old-fashioned sort of word that really talks about excellence. There's a scripture in Matthew 5, verse 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble and good deeds and recognize and honor and praise your Father who is in heaven. You know, people will see a change in you when that faith light comes on. When you get born again, it happens. But in any situation, you need healing, you need something from God, a light goes on in your heart. You go, oh, yes, I have hope. There is something. And people will see it in you. They will see that excellence or that virtue, which is another word for light. The third step is knowledge. Why do we need knowledge? Knowledge is actually when you start to understand what has happened on the inside of you. When you first get born again and that faith light comes on and something in you changes, the more you get to know God and his word, the stronger that change becomes. You develop knowledge. Proverbs 17 says, He who has knowledge spares his word and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Have you ever been wrought up and concerned and and upset and troubled? And then that faith light comes on, something in you changes and you start to understand something that you didn't understand before. Let's look at ladder, uh, rung number four is self-control. Do you know that knowing God 
and knowing his promises and being confident in him will lead you to have self-control. Why do you ever lose self-control? Because you've lost hope. You've lost confidence in God. You know, um, this week I, I took a bus down. I went down to visit little Zamira and her mum in hospital. And I suddenly, I, I thought about this very natural analogy. But when I was thinking about how am I going to get down to the Mater with all the traffic, where am I going to park the car, something went on in, off in the inside of me that said, catch a bus. I went, catch a bus. It was like that faith light went on. Catch a bus. And so what happened then, I suddenly changed. I wasn't distressed about going to the hospital. I thought, I'm going to catch a bus. I added to that knowledge. I went on the website to have a look and see what buses were available. And I found that there's bus 555 from the Springwood Depot will take me straight into the Martha. I added to my faith knowledge. The more knowledge I got, the more confident I became. So I took myself off down to the bus station and I sat there at the bus station. More knowledge came. I saw up on the screen, bus 555 arrives in 10 minutes. Do you know what? I was able to exercise self-control. I wasn't pacing up and down the bus. When is that? Oh, my goodness. Oh, shut up. I'm waiting for the bus. I've got no idea when that bus is going to come. Oh, my goodness. I think I need to eat a chocolate. Oh, my goodness. What am I, oh, I'm going to do? No. I had knowledge. Gave me self-control. I looked at my watch and I thought, is that bus going to come? I went, no, I have faith in that, that timetable that says it'll be here in 10 minutes. Two minutes later, it said eight minutes. Two minutes later, it said six minutes. Self-control. You know, it's the same thing in your life with God. If God gives you a promise and you really get more knowledge on it and you get firm in your faith, self-control is easy. Why, do I, why would I lose my patience with my children and get angry with my children, lose self-control? You know why? I've lost sight of God's promises. God's promise says, all my children are taught of the Lord and great is their peace. I hold on to that. I develop that knowledge. I get greater understanding of God's promises. Ah, self-control is easy. And then self-control produces patience, the next rung on the ladder. Patience. Because you know God's got this in hand. You know that that bus is going to come. You know that your children are going to grow up knowing God because you have confidence in him, self-control produces patience because patience knows that the outcome is assured. And then rung number five is godliness. Godliness is actually being like God. God doesn't get wrought up. God doesn't lose his temper. God doesn't throw, you know, throw a spanner in the works. God doesn't get all upset. God is, is patient. He's loving, he's gentle, he's strong, he's assured, and he's full of faith. And when you're in that sort of position, you're actually able to do the next rung, which is brotherly affection. You know, yesterday we had a children's church workshop, and um, we, we talked about how children can be in a green zone, which is ready to learn. And when they're in a green zone... All of the th they, they're aware of their situation, they're, they're, everything is cool, and they're ready to receive. 
But children, when they get stressed or threatened, move into an orange zone. All of a sudden, their sights are on themselves. They're feeling threatened. Do you know that if we are not in God, trusting his promises, exercising self-control and patience, it's very difficult for us to be aware of other people and respond to other people nicely. When I'm stressed, if I'm waiting for that bus and I'm not sure the bus is going to come in time and I'm not sure the bus is even going to come, how nice can I be to someone waiting with me? So then we when we're in that zone, self-control, patience, we can exercise brotherly affection. And then the last one is agape, God's love. And then in 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 8, or well, next slide, says the end result of this ladder is partnership with God's nature, fruitful and productive lives. 1 Peter 2.8 says, Since these virtues are already planted deep within and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus more intimately. And that is our ultimate call. I'm going to hand back over to James. Isn't she lovely? Oh. Shh. <laughs> See, I'm practicing patience sitting there too. I didn't go over Praise my time, God. did I? No. <laughs> we'll continue on in regards to self-control. And, um, you know, self-control, yeah, it's a, it's a good one to, uh, to talk about. And uh, in, in the... Greek, it talks about what self-control is. It, it says it denotes power over oneself, uh, controlling or restraint of one's passions, ap appetites and desires. Yes, a person who has self-control maintains a life of moderation. If the flesh is allowed to have its way, we can over-worry overwork, overeat, overindulge and literally run ourselves to death. So when a person submits to the Holy Spirit's guidance, they will be able to be disciplined, able to discipline their flesh and their physical realm so they stay in good health and remain free from sin and live a life that is moderate and balanced. That self-control keeps us healthy in our bodies and in our minds. We are encouraged to live according to the spirit, Spirit's guidance. To be spiritually minded is life. It's God's will for us to control our bodies. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and four, it says, For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, being available, I love this, being available for God's purpose and separated from things profane. So here we have um, God's will for us is to be have, have self-control in our life. 
that we're able to uh, be used by God for his purpose. In 2 Timothy 1.7, in the New Living Translation, says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. So what we have, the fruit of the Spirit's already in us by the Spirit of God has been given to us. It's there for us to use. And we choose to be led by the Spirit or to be led by the flesh. You know, we need ability, you know, to control our flesh sometimes when someone rubs us up the wrong way and and says the wrong thing or does the wrong thing. We have an opportunity, don't we, to walk by the flesh or walk by the spirit. Reactive. We can be reactive, be quick to to react to someone who may have said the wrong thing. Well, a verse in Proverbs 12, 16 out of the Passion Translation says, if you shrug off an insult and refuse to take offence, you demonstrate discretion indeed. It says, but the fool has a short fuse and will immediately let you know when he is offended. I've experienced that in myself. I've got offended about something someone said. I mean, I'm sure that each one of us has as well. We have plenty of opportunities to get offended. And of course, offence puts offence between you and someone else. There's offence that comes up. There's an offence between you and God. Offence goes up. That's an offence. So we don't want to have offence, walk in offence. There's many... Unfortunately, many Christians out there not coming to church because they've been offended for over... And guess who's laughing? Satan. Also, our temper, you know, we've got to have self-control over that temper. Uh, Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding and profits from his self-control. I'm just giving you a few examples. Um, also, controlling this, this thing inside our mouth, this thing. That's a tough one sometimes, isn't it? You're all perfect, I know. Look, it's only me I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's, it's really hard to control what you want to say to someone and give them a piece of your mind. What you want to say. <laughs> Sorry? What you want to say. Yeah. Put, <laughs> let me say it there. <laughs> James 1.26 in the uh, Passion Translation says, if someone believes that they are, have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. Watch the words that come out of our mouth. It's amazing that I, I've heard people who confess to be even preachers um, things that come out of their mouth sometimes when you least expect it you go whoa where is that coming from or we know that where that comes from so we the lord wants to have control over our tongues this is a big subject i mean we could talk about it for last next month or so but it's it's so important we just give you a brief um, resume of the process of self-control 
Being under self-control, we are motivated. Our self-control should be motivated by the love of God, our love for him, our love for each other, that the Spirit um, has given us love and that his love, God's love, controls. And that's why we hold back in those times when we feel like letting go. We are to maintain self-control. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. See, the word of God, I'm not going to... You can listen to my words, but you can't argue with God's word. It's, it's uh, really important that you listen to the word of God. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, it says, So I, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of your calling to which you have been called. That is, to live a life that exhibits good character, moral courage, personal integrity and a mature behaviour, a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation with all humility, that means forsaking self-righteousness, and with gentleness, maintaining self-control, with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love. This is what the Word of God, especially the epistles, are talking about relationship, of how we are to walk in our Christian walk. And the doers of the word are blessed. Amen. And we take on these things and we're challenged by these things and you think, wow, how can I do this? Well, you're not by yourself. You have the Holy Spirit empowering you to do it if you are prepared to let him guide you. Now, in Romans uh, 12, um, Paul talks about us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He also writes in, in, in Galatians 5.16 that walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Paul never told the believers to overcome sin with their own willpower. But we rely on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us say yes to those things which are right and no to those things which are wrong. Our soul and our intellect and emotions have to be dealt with because they were not born again when we gave our life to the Lord. Our spirit became new, but our bodies and our minds, which they were, were all were lovely to have it all changed and were perfect. But no, we have to renew our minds by the word of God, as Romans 12, 2 says. It's a matter of putting to death the flesh. Of course, the Bible in Romans talks about that. Turning our backs on our old nature. Crucifying the flesh is not something God does. It's that we have to do. Paul says he had to do something with his body. And he's an example there. He's Paul, St. Paul. And he says, I discipline my Body, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Wow, that's St. Paul. So he was human like us. He wasn't you know, in that other realm and sphere, but he lived on earth just like we, and he experienced the same things. So who does the disciplining? We do. 
Say, I do. I do. I do. I discipline myself. Say that. Praise God. <coughs> so Paul saw. <coughs> so Paul saw to it that uh, his inward man would dominate his outward man. He had to deal with his own body. We also have to deal with our own body, <coughs> our flesh, and of course we've got an additional thing we have to deal with, and that's the devil. And he is great at getting into our minds. And that's where self-control is. When those imaginations come, when those words come, you've got to stop and say, no, this is what the word of God says about me. I am not going to believe this. This is a discipline of self-control. You know, Adam's greatest sin was that instead of fulfilling his divine destiny and mandate from God, he simply decided to do what he wanted to do. On the other hand, Jesus is the opposite. He chose to put aside his personal preferences and surrender his entire life and destiny into the hands of his Father. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to surrender. Surrender myself and give my life to him that he can use me as a vessel of honour. So in this self-control, we need wisdom. We need wisdom to, to make those right decisions. And, of course, wisdom comes from God. In, in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days, that we may ga gain a heart of wisdom. And we know that <coughs> some of the definitions of wisdom is the ability to make right choices at the appropriate time. Mm -hmm. Having insight into the true nature of things and the ability to view certain actions and seeing the end result of the outcome before you do them. You know, we are encouraged to walk in God's wisdom. As Ephesians 5.15 says, look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days of evil are evil. You know, being unwise is the opposite to being wise, of course. And sometimes people who are unwise, they make decisions and do things and then they regret it. They, they don't have a clue of what's going on till after and they think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. They haven't thought things through, their actions. It's because of the emotion of the moment has caused them to do something which maybe later they regret. Proverbs 10.23 says, The fool finds it fun in doing wrong, but the wise delight in having discernment. So the wise man sees what's going on and he meditates on the word. He knows the word which is imparted into him. He, he just doesn't get it, but he has to put word in to get word out. And then he, he discerns what's right and makes the right decision. And again, the Proverbs are full of these uh, nuggets. It says in Proverbs 14, 8, 
for the, why, the, the wisdom of the wise will keep life on the right track. We have to think about the consequences of our, our behaviour and we're held responsible in our community, in our, in our life as well. Operating in the wisdom of God is contemplating and thinking before we do and say. It's about discernment. Discernment uh, primarily has to do with being able to tell the difference between what is valuable and what is not, what is right and what is wrong. And God has given us the wisdom to discern those things if we spend time in his word. You know, there are some ways that can help you in your self-control and I've given a few up there which I'll, and I've given in Bible verses but I'm just going to mention them very quickly. Firstly, spend time with God. Spend time, have those quiet times with God every day. Keep your spirit alive unto God. It needs feeding, your spirit needs feeding every day. Spend time in prayer. Spend time just with God and just enjoying his presence. Mm. Meditate on the word. You know, sometimes we need to speak to our minds. We have to remind ourselves of who you are in Christ, what God has done for you. You've got to meditate day and night, as it says in, in Joshua. These are the verses, Joshua 1.8. And, of course, be doers of word, as James says. Instantly obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can only instantly obey his voice if you are in tune. You spend time tuning your spirit to hear the Holy Spirit. It's all to do with relationship. Many times in the, in the word it talks about us having a relationship with him, knowing more about him, getting to know him more. Then, as we do this, then the fruit of the spirit becomes more prevalent and evident in your life. Jesus said in, in John 15, 4, Remain united to me, and I will remain united to you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It can do so only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Amen? Amen. So to assist us, in self-control, we need to focus on God's ways. Not once on a Sunday, but we need in our new life to feed our spirit, not just our bodies. We need to feed ourselves that we continue to stay on that level of walking by the spirit, listening to the spirit. My last verse before Jenny comes again is in Colossians 3, 1 to 3. It says, Therefore... If you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep, see keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on the things that are on the earth, which are only temple value. For you died to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen. Amen.
You know, that seems like a really difficult thing to do, but I want to describe very quickly what actually happens when you crucify the flesh. Does that mean you actually kill your body? No, your flesh has appetites, your old self. And um, when, when you understand that we actually are a three-part being, I am a spirit, I have a soul, mind, will and emotions, and I live in a body. Do you know the Bible says that, out of, that two is the power of agreement? And you are a three-part being. Now, the interesting thing is that your mind, will and emotions is very fickle. However, how many of you have discovered that your own emotions can be very fickle? Your emotions can go one of two ways. Your emotions and your feelings can side with your old self or your emotions and feelings can side with your new self. When you are born again, your spirit is then connected with God and get power from God if you will exercise it. Because you want your mind, your will and emotions not to side with the old flesh, the you know impatient, angry, temperamental person. You want your mind, will and emotions to side with the new, the new man, the new person. And when you're born again, that power is given to your spirit man. The Bible says in Jude to build yourself up on your most holy faith because your mind, will and emotions will go with the stronger party. Which is stronger? Are you feeding your flesh and feeding your old life or are you feeding your spirit and feeding your new life? The more you feed your spirit, the more your mind, will and emotions will side with your spirit man. Because Jesus didn't tell us to exercise these things and discipline ourselves without his power, grace and ability to do it. And he's given us these precious promises. And so as James said, spend time in the word, build yourself up, spend time in prayer, strengthen the new man, strengthen the spirit man and the flesh becomes the weaker party. Amen. You know, this morning you might be there saying, well, how do I strengthen my spirit man? If you're not born again and you don't know Jesus as your saviour, you don't have access to this strength. You don't have access to this power. It's a very simple thing to do. All you do is say, Jesus, I need you. It's very easy. And if you don't know him as your saviour this morning, you can just say, Jesus, today I need you. Be my saviour. You believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, and you'll be saved. And something on the inside of you lights up. Faith is born in you. And you can start on this ladder of this rung becoming moulded and changed into the image of Jesus himself. Amen. We're going to pray quickly. And then we're going to finish. Father, we thank you for your word. <coughs> we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, this morning that every person in this building today acknowledges Jesus as their saviour. And for anyone here today who this is their first time to acknowledge Jesus as their saviour, we thank you, Father, that you come in, that you dwell with them, and if they've received you, that their life has been made anew.
Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at raymond.org.au.